The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. of men and of angels and may not have love I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal even if I may have the gift of prophecy and may know all the mysteries and all the knowledge and if I may have all faith so as to remove mountains but may not have love I am nothing And if I may give away all my possessions, and if I may give up my body, that I may be burned, but may not have love, I am profited nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful, not puffed up with pride, does not behave dishonorably, does not seek the things of itself, is not provoked to wrath, does not record the evil suffered, does not rejoice over unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears up under all things, circumstances, trusts all things without being taken in, hopes all things against hope, stands its ground with reference to all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will pass away, or tongues, they will cease. Or knowledge, it will pass away. For we come to know out from parts of knowledge, and we prophesy out from parts. But when the perfect may come, then that which is out from parts will pass away. When I used to be a child... I used to speak as a child and and used to think as a child and used to reason as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the things of the child. For now we, we see by means of a mirror, by reflection, but then face to face. Now I know out from parts, but then I will fully know, just as I was also fully known Now remain faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Love is the great command of Scripture. John Wesley always taught that love was the fulfillment of the law, that it was perfection. We often think that doctrine, correct doctrine, is perfection. No, I've met many people full of doctrine and full of anger and bitterness and hatred, self-justifying. No, it's not the information 
that we need nearly as much as it is the man, Jesus Christ. This is not some emotional, sentimental deal, even though there are emotions and sentiments attached to it. You cannot have behavior change if there are no sentiments or emotions attached. But they are not the controlling power. The controlling power is knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected, now reigning in glory. This Jesus is real. He's a person. He is occupying a real space in the heavenly tabernacle. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is real. He is not dead. He's not in a tomb. He's alive. And he's awesome. He's wonderful. He's magnificent. He is beautiful. He is love. I want to show you this in a scripture that is also a part of the whole resurrection story. It's a by story, but like Peter in his denying of Christ and Judas in his denying of Christ, both of them choosing the pig life of the prodigal son. One came to his senses, Peter, and he said, I will not self-identify with the wicked. I will not self-identify with the world, with the flesh, with the devil. I will not self-identify as a pig. I will not get in the pig pen. I'm going back to Jesus. Well, Judas said, I want success. I want money. I want power. And I'll go to the pig pen if necessary to get it. And he did. And in the darkest hour of his soul, he chose suicide. I have had in the past precious friends, work associates, who likewise chose suicide. It's always a choice but it is an absolute denial of Jesus. It is a denial of Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is choosing to be your own Lord, to be in charge of your own life, to determine when you will die. I choose to leave the pig pen I chose to go to Jesus in the darkest hour of my soul. What have you chosen? Now this story is so powerful. It's at the very end of the book of John. Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. It was by the sea. This is how it happened. 
Peter, Thomas, and James and John, some of the disciples were were sitting idly, not knowing what to do with themselves because Jesus was not with them. He was not calling them to go to Jerusalem. He was not saying, come, let us go to Bethany, or come, let us go to Jericho. He, he was gone, and they didn't know what to do. He had told them to wait on him, but waiting was not something they enjoyed doing, and I have to confess to you today, there are some areas where the Lord has said, I'm going to work everything out, you wait for me. If you were to ask me the hardest part of my journey, I would say to you, waiting on God. Because when I wait on God, it seems as though nothing is happening, and it totally uncovers the lie of my soul that if I don't do something, nothing will take place. You know the saying, God doesn't, God doesn't steer a parked car. Well, it's a lie. He parks us because he wants us to wait upon him. He wants us to recognize that we are not the power, that we are the ones who are dependent upon him. We wait on him like servants waiting on the master. So they decide they will not wait any longer. Peter has a wife. He has family. He has a mother-in-law that lives with them. There are, I'm sure, financial concerns. And what's wrong? We can go make some money tonight. We can go fishing. We know how to fish. Let's go back and do what we know how to do. So we're going to talk about their night of fishing. Before we do, I want to just update you. We've come to the end of the month. And I can take the last two days of the month and do an offertory if we need to. But I would rather not. I would rather continue to teach and delve deeply into the things of God. But we must have this amount of money covered for Weva. They expect at the end of the month to be paid. Yesterday I shared with you that we were $1,200 in debt for this bill. It's not due yet, but it's coming very quickly. And I went to the post office and her brother had sent a check for $200 and I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. But we today, as of right now, after going to the post office, we are $970 short of being able to pay WAVA for the month of March. So I'm going to invite you to please call our producer and simply tell him how much you would be willing under the direction of the Holy Spirit to put in the offering plate today for Pilgrim's Progress. 
Let me give you that phone number. It's 877-534-0780. I am very grateful for the many of you who have contributed. Many of you have contributed this month. Thank you so much. And now we still lack $970. Every penny you give goes straight to WAVA to pay for this radio bill. So if you would call right now, 877-534-0780 and speak with Brother Kevin, he will answer your call and he will take your pledge. We don't need your name. We don't need your phone number. We just need the amount that you can contribute. And I thank you now in advance for what you're going to do. And I'm going to continue teaching today. And depending on how much comes in, I'll know whether we must do a day or two days of offertory this month and not teach. So the number again is 877-534-0780. Lord Jesus, I pray today as your people consider this invitation to participate in the ministry of the gospel as they consider the resources that you have placed in their hands with either tithe or offerings I ask Lord that you will uphold them and order their steps Lord thank you that month after month this program has been carried by faithful men and women of God who want very much to have this teaching on the air. Lord, I thank you for each of those brothers and sisters. Lord, how I wish I could meet them, person to person, and thank them. Lord, move in their hearts today according to your will, and we will trust you. And now, Lord, as I speak your word, would you quicken it by your Holy Spirit? Would you teach us about love? Would you teach us how to relate to you in love? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you're following in the scriptures, would you turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The disciples that were invited to go fishing immediately said yes. There was no one who objected and said, no, we don't want to do that but instead they said to him yes we'll come with you we'll go fishing now they went out and and they let out the nets through the hours of the night and they caught nothing then early in the morning as it was beginning with a break of day As they began to come toward the shore, they were about 300 feet out when they saw a person standing on the shore. They didn't know it was Jesus. They just saw a man with a fire on the shore. And Jesus called to them. He called and he said, Children, do you not have any fish? (laughs) 
He called them children. They were his children. And he wasn't going to rebuke them for going fishing. Instead, he was going to treat them with great kindness and love. That's the heart of God. He doesn't treat us harshly. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He is so compassionate. But he got right to the point. You went out fishing after I called you to be fishers of men. Did you catch any fish? No. No. And he said to them, You must cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find fish. So they cast, and they were no longer able to draw in because of the large number of fish that filled their nets. And then the disciple, John, he said to Peter, It's the Lord! Simon Peter heard this, and he'd been stripped because he was fishing. So he put on his outer garment, and he jumped into the, into the sea, and he swam the 300 yards to shore, or 300 feet to shore. It was about 300 feet. The other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net of fish behind them. They couldn't put it in the boat. It would sink it. So after they got out on the land, they could see that there was a charcoal fire and there was a fish prepared and cooking over that fire and there was bread. And they're looking at Jesus. They're still not accustomed to seeing the risen Lord. And they, they hear Jesus say to them, you bring from the fish that you just now caught. Simon Peter went out and he dragged the net full of large fish up on the land. They sorted them out. There were 153, but the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come, come, let's eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. He looked different somehow. He was in a resurrection body. He was not in the in the body they were accustomed to. But they could still recognize him. And when we reach heaven, we are going to recognize one another. I can hear someone say, John, is that you? Yes. Mary, is that you? Yes. We made it. So Jesus comes to the fire and he, he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he hands it out to them. And then he takes the fish and he breaks it up. And he hands them the fish. This is the third time that Jesus has shown himself to the disciples after having been raised from the dead. I'm, I'm certain that this was a very quiet breakfast. No one knew quite what to say to Jesus. They were in complete awe. 
that he was among them. He was the love of their hearts. They had given everything to follow Jesus. It's noteworthy to me that Peter, after his denial of Jesus, was not a cast out from among the disciples. Rather, he was brought in as a brother. They had all run away. But John and the others had not denied knowing Jesus. They had just not been where they could be asked that question. But they were not in a condemning mode. And finally, Jesus breaks the silence. And he says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than more than these things? Now, the word in the Greek is a plural word. And in the plural, this word has no gender identification. It, if he had been referring to a singular a singular thing or person, it would have been in the gender of that thing. But he is speaking in a plural form, and it causes us to say, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the other disciples? Certainly not. We recognize that the whole issue here is the fishing boat, the net, and all of the fish that have been caught. It is his means of livelihood. He has been called to become a fisher of men, but he has gone back to his earning of a livelihood. And so Jesus wants to know, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these things? Agape is a, a formal word. It can mean several different things depending on the context. The meaning is determined by the context. But there is a, a very real sense in which he is saying, are you going to sacrifice yourself more for me or for these things? The fishing boat, the nets, the fish. And I would need to ask you the same question. Do you agape Jesus more than you agape your job or your family or your entertainment? And frankly, one of the questions must be, where do you spend your time and your energy? Do you spend most of your time at work thinking I am here to make money? Or do you spend most of your time and energy with your entertainment and your cell phone and the entertainment of our day, the sports and the where do you spend your time? That's where that's where you're sacrificing your life. Now, you can go to work to earn money and serve Baal. 
even as the prodigal son went to the pig pen to feed the pigs and to become a pig. And you can go to work and become a pig. But you can also understand what Jesus said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that is, seek ye first the royal authority of God over your life, and seek his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, the things that the pagans lust after. So a Christian does not go to work to earn money. A Christian goes to that place of employment as a missionary from Jesus to bring the gospel to that place. And it requires great wisdom to know how to bring the gospel of Jesus to that workplace. It demands a great deal of time on your knees before God, being endued with power, having Jesus breathe upon you the Holy Spirit. It requires time in Scripture. It requires time growing up and maturing in Jesus to know how to go to that workplace. Some people want to take the information of the gospel and go beat people over the head with it. And then they get fired. And they say, see, I got fired for witnessing for Jesus. No, that's not how Jesus functions. Jesus first and foremost functions in love for that other person. And so it requires that building up of that love by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to go and serve those in our place of employment with excellence and with compassion and with winsome love that we could earn the right there to speak to them about Jesus the Christ. I've had people come to me on the street and say, Hello, my name is, are you saved? And I shake my head and I feel sorry for them. Because the question, are you saved, is not an easy answer. On one side, there is the book of Ephesians that talks about the seal of the Holy Spirit unto the day of the Lord. But as long as I am still on this earth, I'm still on enemy ground, and I have not been saved from the enemy ground. I may die a martyr. I may, any number of things could happen to me. I could turn against the Lord God of heaven. I could become bitter in my spirit and rebel against him. There are many examples of those who did that in the scriptures. So when a person would say to me, are you saved? What are they talking about? There's no context to their question. It's It's an unfair question. Do I love Jesus? Yes. Do I have the seal of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Am I saved? Well, not yet. I have not yet reached the heaven's ground. Do I walk in peace and joy and trust in this demonic world? Absolutely. Do I have confidence in Jesus? Absolutely. He's going to finish the work he started in me if I don't rebel against him and go another direction. You see, to talk about Jesus requires 
context. It requires compassion. It requires, as Jesus with the woman at the well engaged her in conversation and asked her, could you give me a drink? And her compassion was stirred, and she said, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And that opened the door for Jesus to begin to talk to her, and he offered her water that would save her from her constant embarrassment. If you approach a non-Christian with a way of saving their dignity, of healing their wounds, they're going to be much more responsive than if you approach them with a a chick tract. What we learn in this John 21 chapter is that we must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And Jesus is coming and asking Peter, do you agape me? More than these things. Peter, what's your intention here? Are you going to sacrifice yourself for me to be a fisher of men? Or are you going to sacrifice your life for this fishing boat and this net and these fish from the Sea of Galilee? And he answers. Peter answers and he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. This is a term of brotherly love, of family love. He was not denying his love for Jesus. He was saying, yes, I love you. But he was not going to brag about, I will sacrifice myself for you. No, he's done that once already, and he has seen the result of his boasting. He humbly answers, yes, you know that I, I consider you family. I love you as family, as a brother. And Jesus says to him, then you must tend my lambs. In other words, Peter, if you love me as a brother, your job is now to care for the little ones who do not know me. It's not your job, Peter, to beat them up. It's not your job to confront them with their wickedness. That's not your first job. Your first job is to tend to these, these little ones. Be careful with them. Don't treat them harshly, Peter. And then Jesus says to him again a, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Almost the same question, but this time he's leaving out all of these things. He's leaving out the fish and the boat. He's just looking at Peter straight on, eye to eye, and he's saying, do you sacrificially love me, Peter? Is your heart with me, Peter? And he says to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I phileto you. He does not say, Yes, I agape you. 
He's humble. He says, yes, you're my family. I'm your son. You are everything to me. Yes, I phileo you. Do you understand what Jesus is doing here? Peter denied him three times, and now Jesus is coming back publicly in front of the disciples, giving Peter an opportunity to affirm his commitment to Jesus. Well, it is so important to confirm our commitment to Jesus, not our commitment to a theology, not our commitment to a, to a church, our commitment to Jesus himself. And if your commitment is to Jesus himself, you will find your way to be a part of the true body of Christ, where righteousness is taught and practiced, where sin is cast out, where it is not fun and games and entertainment. It's not a cotton candy Jesus. It's the real deal. And Jesus says to him, you must guide my sheep. In other words, take care of the little ones. Take care of the tender ones. Don't bruise them. Don't hurry them. Don't make them go faster than they can go. Have compassion and mercy on them. And then your sheep, the sheep that I have that I've grown up, who understand a bit more, who, who are walking, guide them. Guide them, Peter. That's your job. Don't go fishing. Guide my sheep. And then a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Now he uses the same word that Peter is using. Peter does not need to ask Jesus, do you phileo me? He doesn't need to say, Jesus, do you love me? He's already seen the love of Jesus poured out on the cross. He has seen Jesus be crucified for him. He has seen the risen Lord come with glory and power. He doesn't need to ask Jesus. We don't need to ask Jesus if he loves us. That's been settled at Calvary's tree. Now the question is, do we love Jesus? I want you to note something as I am sharing this with you. He does not say to Peter, Peter, do you have faith in me? Jesus doesn't ask that question. He doesn't ask, Peter, do you believe in me? He doesn't ask that question. He says, Peter, do you love me? The first question is not, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? When a man or a woman looks at Calvary's tree and sees that man stretched wide and high on the cross, when they see the righteous life he lived, when they see the kindness and the mercy and the, and the outpouring of heaven's love, the question is not, do you believe in Jesus? The question is, do you love Jesus? 
does something rise up in your heart that says, I must have Jesus? Has your heart grown cold and you have now settled for what you believe? Have you settled for doctrine? Have you settled for a church, social scene? Is your heart lukewarm or cold toward Jesus? Do you boldly speak forth the love of Jesus Christ? Or do you walk cold of heart, formal? What do you talk about? You see, what we talk about tells others what we love. What we talk about tells others who we love. I stood in a in a church just before the worship service was to formally begin and I listened to the conversations that were going on all around me. I first listened to one group of men and then I turned my attention to another, a couple women. I listened to each around me. I did not hear one person talking about Jesus. Frankly, they did not expect Jesus to meet them that day. Instead, the group of ladies was talking about what they were going to do for lunch after the service. Another couple women were talking about the shopping they had done that week. A group of men were standing laughing and talking about the football game they were going to watch that Sunday afternoon and evening. I walked around in the church just listening to what people were chit-chatting about. Nobody in the whole church was chit-chatting about Jesus. No one was praying. And then the band struck up and the show started. Very little was said about Jesus that day. Oh, the the Super Bowl was talked about. Money was talked about. Success was talked about. Jesus wasn't spoken of very much. And when they talked about Jesus, they talked about him as though he were in the past. They did not talk about him as though he were present in the service. Because he wasn't present. His presence was not there. It was a formal meeting of one more occasion to come together and go through the ceremonies and the rituals of church. But there was no Jesus present. I walked into a a local mega church here in northern Virginia. 
tears began to come down my face. Because as soon as I walked in, I could tell there was no presence of Jesus. It was entertainment. It was excellent entertainment. It was Broadway-style entertainment. The musicians were rock and rolling on the platform, on the stage. Everybody was into it. It wasn't about Jesus. What you talk about tells others who and what you love. Some of you want to talk about the new sports car you're getting. Some of you want to talk about your work. Some of you want to talk about another person and do some gossiping. Some of you want to talk about redecorating your house for spring. We talk about what we love. How much do you talk about Jesus? Peter is being carefully examined by Jesus. And Jesus asks him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Now today we're doing an offertory while I teach. We're still short $970 this month from being able to pay the radio bill. If you'd like to participate in helping to cover this radio bill for the month of March, would you call quickly 877-534-0780 and speak with Brother Kevin. He will Take the amount. We don't need your name. We don't need your phone number. Just the amount that you're willing to give to Jesus. Every penny you give will go to pay for the radio time that we share together. I've been praying and asking Jesus if he would just quickly move to meet this need so that we don't need to take a day with just music. I want to talk to you about Jesus. He's all I want to talk about. He's the one I love. $970. There are some of you who could pay the entire 970 and just give that to Jesus. There's some of you who could easily do 500. There are others of you who can do $10, and that's all you can do. Whatever you can do, would you call Brother Kevin right now? 877 534 do you know why I'm asking you to do this? Because I love Jesus. And because I want to talk to you about Jesus. And this is my only way. I would rather talk to you in person. I'd rather have you come to the prayer chapel and participate with others. But the radio gives us an opportunity to come into your office or your car or your home. Would you respond? Thank you. 877-534-0780. We do not take credit cards. I don't want you going in debt. I want you to take the time to sit down and thoughtfully write out the address. 
for the National Prayer Chapel and put it in the mail. I don't like all of this new digital stuff. So Jesus is asking Peter, Do you phileo me? Do you love me? And Peter is grieved. He's already answered that question twice. It's like a wound that has the scab clawed off. He is utterly ashamed of what he did in denying Jesus. He has gone out and he has wept bitterly over that. I don't know if he's talked with the other disciples about it or not. This may be something so painful they've just not even talked about it. But Jesus talks about everything. He brings it out in the open. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter answers with great anguish, Lord, You notice this is the first time that there's such anguish in his heart. And you notice that he does not say, Jesus, you know all things. No, he calls him Lord. He calls him God. Peter knows he's dealing face to face with the God of heaven. Lord, You know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know that you are family loved in my heart. And Jesus says to him, You must tend my sheep. You must tend my sheep. Literally, you must shepherd my sheep. And of course, the Latin word for shepherd is pastor. Jesus is saying you must pastor my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were younger, you used to gird yourselves and were walking around wherever you were, willing or wishing. But when you may grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I love you. Then... Shepherd my sheep. Pastor my sheep. And you need to know, Peter, that when you grow older, you're going to lose your freedom. And you're going to die a martyr's death. Now, Peter, you still love me? 
The command of Jesus was, take up your cross and follow me. Peter's being told that he is going to be crucified. It was Origen who first said that he was crucified upside down. We have the testimony of others of the early church that Peter was crucified. The scriptures do not recount that story for us. Verse 19, Now this he spoke, making known by what kind of death he will glorify God. And then after having said this, he said to him, Jesus said to him, You must follow me. Peter, you must follow me. It doesn't matter what others do. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what others think. You must follow me. That is the command every pastor today and every person listening to this broadcast. Jesus comes and he says, You must follow me. You must follow me. Now, Peter, he always makes me smile. I love Peter. I love the promises that he wrote in his books. First and Second Peter were my father's favorite reads. I have seen him so many times sitting in his big armchair with his big Bible out. And I already know what he's reading. First and Second Peter. Peter turns and he sees the disciple whom Jesus was loving, following. That is, he turns and sees John, the disciple John. He was the one who leaned back on Jesus' chest at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? And Peter, having seen this one, says to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus says to him, If I may want him to stay till I come, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. Jesus is basically saying, Peter, it's none of your business what I'm doing with someone else. We do well to remember that. We want to look at another follower of Jesus or another person who is struggling and we want to pass judgments upon them. And we want to say, Jesus, what about that one? Look what he's doing. Jesus, what about that one? What about this one? And Jesus says, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. If I want that person to to live and not die, not be crucified, that's my business. It's not your business. Your business Peter is to follow me. That's all. Keep your eyes on me. Don't put your eyes on John or Matthew. Don't put your eyes on Mark. Put your eyes on me, Jesus says. Look at me, Peter. It's me you said you loved. 
then keep your eyes on me. I want to say to you today, please, my brother, my sister. Pastor, you have two minutes. Are your eyes on Jesus today? Almighty God, would you turn the eye of every person who is listening to this broadcast, would you cause them to turn their eyes to you, Jesus? Would you captivate them with your love and your mercy and your compassion? Lord, you did not come to condemn. You did not come to judge. You came to rescue the lost, to save the dying. Lord, cause us to follow you now. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm urging you to fix your eyes on Jesus today. To read the word. To talk about him. To praise and worship him. To be crucified with Christ. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Look to Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory 